How's everybody doing today? Are you guys good? You having a good day so far? I mean, like you're at church, so that's good, right? You can be a lot of places today. Church is a good one to be at. Uh, okay, so for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Shane Jones. I've been coming to TFA now for, uh, I guess, January, like the first Sunday in January. Was that, is that right? First Sunday in January that we came, something like that. And so we've been here for, uh, I guess, going on uh, seven months now. And I've gotten to know some of you. Some of you guys, I know your face. And so I shake your hand. I'm like, hey, buddy. You know, but that's okay. I'm just telling on myself a little bit. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who I am before we even get into so you guys have a point of reference for where I'm coming from. Um, I graduated from Southeastern Bible College in 2003, uh, 2004, excuse me. I was a youth pastor for six years after that, moved from there, became a worship pastor at Cathedral of the Cross in Birmingham uh, for about uh, two years. Went on from there, planted a church uh, uh, right out there in Birmingham. Uh, we had three campuses, one in Trustful, one in Auburn, and one in Mobile. And uh, man, it was such a great experience. It was probably my favorite time of my life doing ministry, uh, doing ministry with, with some of my best friends in the world and uh, ended up being the executive worship pastor, executive worship services pastor, whatever that is called, whatever that means, I don't know. Uh, I never used the title unless I needed to do something like official, you know, with like a business or something. It sounds really, really cool, um, but it really wasn't. It just meant I had to do a lot more work than everybody else. Uh, but that's cool, though. So uh, we moved away from there in 2015, moved over here to Northport. I didn't even know Northport was a city until we moved over here. And uh, we planted a church with the Assemblies of God in Northport. It was called Life Community Church. We did that for about two and a half years. And then uh, in December of last year, we realized God was, was changing some things and things just weren't exactly what we always just knew God was going to do. And so we ended up closing the doors of the church on December 17th. And uh, so right now, if some of you know my face, but you don't know where you know my face from, it's probably Chick-fil-A. Um, I'm the general manager of Chick-fil-A in Northport. Uh, so I've been doing that now for a while. Um, so uh, let me answer a couple of questions up front. Number one, we do not put crack in the chicken. It's just that good, okay? Uh, number two, we don't brainwash our employees. We just hire the right employees. Uh, number three, no, I can't get you free chicken, so please don't ask, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm telling you what, you guys uh, have gotten to know me a lot more through worship and playing my guitar and singing, and I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to be able to do that, that Sloan and, and the team has brought me in and allowed me to do that because that is kind of my background. Um, I've been leading worship in some form or fashion since I was about 16 years old. I'm 38 now, um, and it's just a passion that I have, but let me tell you, my real passion is what I get to do today. I love to preach. And I just don't get the opportunity to as much as I used to. It's what I miss the most about pastoring. Um, so when you've been a pastor for like 14 years, full-time in a church office, it's kind of weird not to be pastoring anymore, right? So I, it's, it's, I was, we went and visited our friends in, in Birmingham uh, Friday and Saturday, and they were asking how things were going. And I said, it's just, it's really weird to be on like the other side of it now, you know, not to be on staff, but just to be coming to church and, and learning what it's like to be a, you know, part of the team or just part of the body. And so um, I, I am trying to be the kind of church member um, that I wanted my church members to be when I was pastoring, right? Because that's what we all need to be. Because let me tell you something, let me, let me give you a little bit of insight into a pastor's mind. I guarantee you, Pastor Charles walks in every day and goes, where's, where's this family? I wonder where that, uh, what's going on here? I wonder why uh, we need more people coming to this event. Why didn't more people? Let me tell you guys, be the one that makes him go, I don't have to worry if they're going to be here or not because they're here. 
I don't have to worry if we're going to have enough volunteers because I know that everybody's going to show up. We can't be the church that just expects Pastor Charles and Pastor Brad and Pastor Noor to do everything. It's really big pain to try to do everything because you can't do it. So that's free. You guys take that and run with it. Um, I can say that because I don't pastor here. So um, anyway... Uh, I, I'm excited about pastor, uh, about preaching to you guys today. Um, I want to talk to you uh, just for a minute um, about the NBA. That's where we're going to start. Are you guys, anybody is an NBA fan? I mean, I know we're in Alabama. There's like two people in the whole state that likes the NBA. I get it. Um, if I were to say, is anybody an Alabama Crimson Tide fan? I really thought that one would be louder, too. I don't know, man. That's crazy. Okay, so, but anyway, I'm a, I'm a big NBA fan. Like, I, I love the NBA. My favorite team is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I will end you. I will end you. Um, I love the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they're a pretty good team. You know, everybody wants to jump on the Golden State bandwagon. That's okay. It's okay for you to be wrong. Um, but... You, you need to watch the NBA. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's a fun basketball game. It doesn't take as much of a commitment as a football game because your football is like four hours long. You can watch a basketball game in like two hours, and you're good to go. Uh, but one of my favorite things is um, there's this guy. His name is Allen Iverson. Has anybody ever heard of Allen Iverson? Yes, AI, right. That's how everybody knows AI. So he was a really, really good basketball player. He played for the Philadelphia 76ers for most of his career. Uh, and, and there was this, he's, the crazy thing is, is yes, he's famous for playing basketball, but he's famous for something else too. Does anybody know what else he's famous for? Practice, the press conference. Okay, so, so I want to show you something real quick. Um, I, I don't know if this is okay or not. I didn't ask Pastor Lynn, so I'm just going to do it. And then, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, I guess. Uh, that's probably not okay to say. Um, but I'm going to show you this video. I want you guys to watch this real quick. You guys check this out. Shane, play that video for it's me. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice, not a game, not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? man? We're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come in the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? Absolutely. But we talking about practice right now. We talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it too. But we talking about practice, man. We not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. We talking about practice. Alan, is it possible, though, that from where he's coming from? Uh, I think we were talking about practice. It's possible. Uh, so this, this, this minute, and I think it's a minute and 13 seconds worth of an interview, my boy says the word practice 27 times. 
We talk about practice. I mean, we, we talk, what we talk about? We talk about practice. Practice. We talk about practice. Let me tell you something. The problem is everybody wants to win the championship, but nobody wants to go through practice. Everybody wants to win the Super Bowl. Nobody wants to go through two-a-days. God wants to do something in each and every one of you, through each and every one of you, something big, something awesome. There's something in your life that you've been praying for that you say, God, I want this. You've given me dreams. You've given me these, these things. You've given me these things out in front of me that I want to see happen, and, and they're not happening right now. Instead, I'm going through all this stuff. The stuff is happening. We don't like that. We want the end game. We don't want the process. And so here, here's the thing. Let, let, me, let me kind of back this up a little bit. We're going to talk, uh, spend some time in the life of Elijah this morning. Uh, and if you guys want to go ahead and go to 1 Kings, uh, and, and we'll, we'll be there in just a minute. I wanted to, you guys know Elijah. You know who Elijah is. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Elijah before in the Bible. Like, he's a pretty cool guy, pretty famous guy, did some really awesome stuff. Um, but most of the time when we hear sermons or talks or, 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 or podcasts about Elijah, we, we hear the stories about, like, Elijah on Mount Carmel. You guys have heard that story, right? Or, or like, uh, all the, the awesome things that Elijah did. If you don't know the story, let me give you a quick little um, update on what happened. This can be found in 1 Kings 18. You don't have to go there. I just want to give you a little summary of what happened. But, uh, but in, in 1 Kings 18, you see Elijah, he walks up to uh, the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he decides that he is going to face down false prophets by himself. That's pretty legit in and of itself, Right? He, the, the King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they hate him. They're the most evil king and queen in the history of Israel. And, and in fact, I mean, even now when a woman is terrible, we'd still call her a Jezebel, right? I mean, like, it's funny, but that's how bad this woman was. She was terrible. And so Elijah says, he's, if God tells him to go to this mountain and he's going to face down the false prophets. But here's the kicker. It ain't like a handful. There are eight 150 false prophets and one Elijah. 850. 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah gather on top of this mountain for Elijah to say, okay, boys, we're going to see who the one true God is. So, so what we're going to do, Elijah says, I want you guys to build an altar. You put a sacrifice on it, and then you're going to pray that Baal or Asherah one is going to rain down fire from heaven and burn it up. And we'll see what happens. And then I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to pray that Jehovah rains down fire from heavens and burn it up. Whatever God answers by fire, that's the one true God. And then Elijah sits back and he goes, I'm going to let you boys go first. Now, if it was me, I would be like, I'm going to let you boys go first while I hide behind these trees. Because if it works, I'm running. So the Bible says they go to it, man. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying, they're seeing, uh, like, and they, then they start getting nervous. You got 850 guys start getting nervous. 
The Bible says they start cutting themselves and they start screaming and crying and blood's flowing everywhere and, and all this stuff. And, 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 and I love the fact that Elijah's my kind of guy, right? Like Elijah, he starts getting a little bit more confident because he sees that it ain't going to happen. It's like Alabama's blowing Auburn out by 54 in the fourth quarter. And so you start talking a little more trash to your buddies because the game's out of reach now and you know it's okay, you know? Um, but, but Elijah starts talking trash. You guys didn't know those trash talking in the Bible. Like, this is legit, y'all. Like, Elijah, he's sitting there, and he's like, hey, I don't know. Maybe he's not home right now. I don't know. But my favorite thing is the Bible literally says in the King James Version, maybe he's covering his feet. Let me take you to school real quick. The Bible is not going to say he's in the bathroom. <laughs> to cover one's feet means... Maybe he's in the bathroom doing his business. So Elijah, the prophet of God, is standing by himself in front of 850 false prophets, taunting them. Obviously, we know Baal and Asherah aren't real. The fire never comes. Elijah's like just full of confidence at this moment. And so he walks up there and he's like, all right, boys, get your stuff off. Let me put mine on. In fact, let's watch God show out a little bit. He says, pour water all over it. Let's pour water. Let's die. In fact, you know what? Let's, let me show you something. Let's dig a trench. Let's fill that trench up with water. Let's watch what God does for a second. And Elijah steps up, and I can see all those other guys stepping back, and they're like, okay, whatever. It didn't work for us. It's not going to work for you. And Elijah basically says, hey, God, show them what you got. I mean, his prayer is like one verse. And all of a sudden, fire comes down. Burns up the sacrifice, burns up the water, burns up the altar, burns up the rocks, burns up the water in the trench. God said, I'm not just going to catch the sacrifice on fire. I will leave no doubt. So after that, Elijah, there's this, this uh, prophecy that's happened that Elijah said it's not going to rain. So the, 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 uh, the country's been in a drought for over three years, right? And so Elijah uh, tells his servant, rain's coming. Go to the side of the cliff. Tell me what you see. The Bible says the servant comes and goes a number of times, and finally he sees, you've probably heard this story, a cloud the size of what? A man's hand. Now, wait, this is what God showed me. You guys get this. This is huge. This is huge. Not the shape of a man's hand, the size of a man's hand. Let that process for a second. Gehazi, his servant, walks to the cliff, and he's like, dude, there ain't nothing. Go back and look again. All right, man. Bro, Elijah's off his rocker. There's nothing. Go look again. Bro, I've already looked twice. So he finally sees it. He sees this teensy, tiny cloud. He goes back to Elijah. You know what Elijah says? Elijah says, go tell Ahab he better get back because floodwaters are going to overtake his chariot. I don't know about you. If I'm the servant, I'm like, dude. It's the size of a man's hand. But he did it. Now, this is the coolest thing. Where's Paul Bernardino? Is he in here right now? Paul, what's up, man? Last week, you preached, and you said, who is the fastest man in the world? Remember that? And we said, obviously, who? You saying both. False. You know who the fastest man that ever existed was? Elijah. And I can prove it. Watch this. 1 Kings chapter 18. So he says this. You don't have to turn there. Just, you can trust me if you want to, or you can check me later. I don't care. Um, so here, uh, let's see. Let's find it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so here you go. 
It says, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot. Go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and the winds, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. My boy outran the king's chariots. We ain't talking about some uh, skin and bones mare sitting in a pasture somewhere that's pulling a cart. This is like, uh, I, I don't know, what, like secretariat pulling a chariot. That rhymed. That was funny. Secretariat's pulling a chariot, and Elijah pulls up his robe, and God says, you are now the flash, and he takes off. <laughs> he outruns the king's chariots. Do you know how far it was from Mount Carmel to Jezreel? It was over 15 miles. I run three miles and I feel like I'm going to die. So this is, this is Elijah's chapter 18. And we love Elijah's chapter 18. And we look at that and we hear sermons about it and we say, God, I want to be able to have that kind of confidence. I want to be able to walk into a situation where nobody knows your name and stand my ground and not only stand my ground, but not have a care in the world about what happens to me. Because I'm telling you right now, I will stand for you. That's what we want. We want to see the rains come. We want to have faith that when we see the smallest little twinkling of hope, that the promise is coming. We want to look at the things in our life and know that no matter what happens, we can have confidence in who Jesus Christ is. But can I tell you something? Elijah didn't just appear on the scene and then all of a sudden he's doing these awesome things. There's prep work that happened leading up to it. And we don't want to think about the prep work. We don't want to think about the things Elijah had to go through to get him to his chapter 18. Because see, chapter 17 wasn't near as That's where I want to be at today. So chapter 17, you guys want to turn there real quick. I want to show you a couple of things. So the first time we ever see Elijah in the entire Bible, first time we ever see him is in verse 1 of chapter 17. First thing that happens with Elijah is God tells him to walk into the, uh, the, the, um, the, the courts of Ahab the king, and tell him, it ain't going to rain until I say it is. According to the word, Elijah was nobody. This is the first time we ever see his name. And the first thing we see is Elijah stepping into the king's court, telling the king something to his face. But what I like is the next part. Verse 2 says, then the Lord said to Elijah, he's just told King Ahab this. Go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. So basically he said, go tell Ahab this and then run because he's going to try to kill you. So he takes off and he runs. God has prepared this place for him. And verse 4 says, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening and he drank from the brook. Well, let's stop there for just a second. I know you see what, what verse 7 says. We're not going to talk about that for a second. I want you to think about this for a second. Man, Elijah had to feel like everything was going perfect. He had to feel like he was God's man. Like he, 
He got used by this awesome thing. It would be like God telling you that I'm going to prepare a way for you to walk into the Oval Office and give a prophecy to President Trump. And then run, because the Secret Service is going to try to kill you. All right, God. And so he runs and he goes to this place and God has prepared this place and he starts seeing things happen to provide for him that are just absolutely outlandish. Has God ever provided for you when there was no way that you were actually should have been provided for? Has God ever had, had money show up in your, in your mailbox when the bills were coming due, when you didn't have the money to pay for it and you have no idea where that money came from? Has you, have you ever had uh, food appear out of nowhere? Maybe you haven't. I've seen it happen. Man, when you're a church planner, there's a lot of things that you're, you're trying to figure out. There were many months we were coming down to the end of the month, and, and, and man, we, we had drained our savings account. We, we had gotten this place where we knew unless God intervened, we were going to be hurting. And every single time, I can tell you story after story after story of God providing the finances where there were none, of God providing food where there was none, of God doing all these things that there's no way that you can discount who God is and his hand on the situation. See, sometimes things feel really good. And you feel like you're right in the middle of God's will. But sometimes we mistake the practice season for the purpose season. Because God is going to let you have little wins. God is going to do things and allow things to happen and take care of you while he's trying to teach you things to get you to the purpose for which he's called you. And the problem is sometimes we look at that practice season, that prep season, and we think it's the purpose that we've been called to. And then when things mess up on us, we look at that and we go, God, what are you doing? This is where you sent me. Why is this messing up? And it's like God just says, can you just chill out? Trust what's happening. So Elijah, man, he had to feel good. Everything was going great. It was, he, had, he had stinking birds bringing him food, right? And, and he's sitting by this brook. But then verse 7 happens. And you see what it says. But after a while... The brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Stay right there, Shane. Okay. Let me show you something God showed me about this. What dried up? Not a trick question. What dried up? The brook. Where did God lead Elijah? The brook. Did the devil lead Elijah to the brook? Did Elijah take himself to the brook? The Bible is very clear that God led Elijah to the brook. The brook dried up, correct? Yes? What makes a brook dry up? A lack of rain. Who caused there to be no rain? Oh, church. Do you realize God sent Elijah to a place with full knowledge that the supply he was providing for him would run out. Not because of anything that was going wrong, but because of what Elijah did to obey the voice of God. The brook dried up because of the prophecy. The brook dried up because God said it wasn't going to rain. The brook didn't dry up because the devil was trying to kill Elijah. The brook dried up because God was trying to teach Elijah something. 
See, if Elijah were to step onto Mount Carmel at the beginning of verse 17, we don't know how it would have turned out, but I dare say Elijah was not ready. Because if Elijah was ready for it, I feel like God wouldn't have said, say this to Ahab and then run. Because Elijah wasn't ready for the confrontation. See, sometimes God is going to take you somewhere where the supply is going to run out. Don't think that every time something goes wrong for you because you're following Christ and because you're a Christ follower, because you're a believer, that it's the devil attacking you. Sometimes things go wrong because God wants them to go wrong because he needs you to learn something to get you through the next bigger thing that's coming in your life. We cannot think that every time something goes wrong, it's because of the enemy. Yes, obviously he's there. Obviously he's fighting. Obviously he wants to kill you. He wants to hurt you and he wants to stop you. But there are so many times that God is going to put you in a place where he can test you. Not because he needs to know how you're going to react, but because you need to know how you're going to react. The supply dried up. And I just I have to wonder what Elijah's thought process was as the supply ran out. And I don't know about you guys, if I was sitting there, I ain't going to be a happy camper. I mean, God, you led me out here. I'm sitting beside this brook. You told me to come here, and now there's no water because of you. Are you trying to kill me? And, and we know from Scripture that Elijah could be a little bit of a complainer at times. I want to show you something in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. You guys want to turn over there for just a second, or you can just stay here. We're only going to be there for just a second. But right after Mount Carmel happens, Elijah has to get away from Jezebel again. God tells him, hey, you need to go, because Jezebel is about to bring the entire army to find you and kill you. I don't want you dead yet. And so Elijah runs. And he, but he runs a completely different way than God tells him to. It's crazy. And so there's these, these couple of places where God's trying to ask him what he's doing. And uh, in 1 Kings 19, 4, it says, Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've, always, who, who've already died. My boy's coming off the Mount Carmel thing. And he's sitting under a tree going, God, just kill me. I can't do this anymore. You ever felt like that? It's really easy to forget what God's done when you feel like things are going wrong. He finally keeps running, and, and, and he runs to a, a cave so far away from where he's supposed to be to the point that God literally steps into the cave and says, what are you doing? Why are you here? And Elijah talks to him for a second, and this is his answer. Verse 14, he says, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. He's talking to God. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah could be a little bit of a complainer. God's got his hand on him. But God tells him finally, look, I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to Baal yet. So stop complaining. Stop your whimpering. Get up. Go do what I told you to do. So Elijah has a little bit of a tendency to be a complainer. So, so know what we know about Elijah. If we go back to, verse, to chapter 17, he's sitting beside the brook. The brook's dried up. I mean, I can just kind of, can't you kind of hear Elijah 
Like, what are you doing to me, God? I'm just trying to do what you want me to do. I mean, I'm following you. I'm, 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 I'm praying every day. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reading my word or my scroll or whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to people you're telling me to talk to. And yet here I am living in a desert, having to eat food that's brought to me by birds, and now my water is gone. Obviously, I miss God. You ever felt like that? I feel like that. God, you called me from Birmingham to plant a church. I did everything I was supposed to do. Everything. I saw you provide. I saw you do things that blew my mind. I saw people come to Christ. And yet, it never worked. We had to close it down. Obviously, I missed you. I didn't move over here to work at Chick-fil-A. Moved over here to start church. Why are you doing this to me? Can I just be raw for a second? There's a purpose behind every bit of pain that we go through. And the one question I get asked a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you have too, especially pastoring people that, that don't yet know Christ, the question is asked, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because, dear God, if bad things didn't happen to good people, we would have a whole bunch stuck up, goody two shoes, people that think they deserve everything and are better than everybody else. See, we feel like the devil just causes all this bad stuff to happen. God allows us to go through things that builds our faith, shows us who we are shows us who he is. See, Elijah sitting by that brook, God had to show him, God had to show him not to trust the supply, but to trust the supplier. It's not about the supply. It's about the supplier. Here's the best part. You ready for that, that mind-blowing moment? Okay, here we go. You ready? I was sitting at my desk writing this sermon, and when God showed this to me, literally jumped up. You ever have one of those moments, Brad, where you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Dude, the word's like that. You guys got to get in your word. Like, you read the same thing 100 times, and the 101st time, God's like, knowledge nugget. And you're like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> so... I got to looking at the, the name of the brook, Kirith. I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I like to do word studies sometimes, especially for names of places and that kind of thing. If you look up the meaning of the word Kirith, it means to cut or whittle away. Oh, you ain't getting that like I did. God has got to get you to a place where he can cut away the things that you're trying to rely on outside of him. He had to bring Elijah to a place where he showed him, dude, it is not about the water you're drinking. It's about the one who supplies the water you're drinking. See, this test was about Elijah and nobody else. If Elijah failed the test, the only person that suffers is Elijah. God's going to have somebody else. Obadiah was already in place in Ahab's palace. I'm sure God could have just said, all right, Obadiah, Elijah's dead because he wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> so your turn now. Um, but if Elijah failed, it was Elijah's life on the line, nobody else. 
So Elijah picks himself up, and let's look at verse 8 um, real quick. It says, The Lord says to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Okay, awesome. Let's stay there for a second. So chapter, uh, verse 9, Go to Zarephath. I've instructed a widow to feed you. Elijah's like, bam, I am ready. Here we go. We're going to have like Thanksgiving dinner on the table. It's going to be awesome. So he gets up and he goes to Zarephath, right? So let's keep reading, right? Uh, verse 10 says, so he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? She was going to get it. He called out to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I've only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. It's just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then me and my son are going to die. Okay, we read this too fast. Because we, we know what's going to happen next. Probably if you've been around church for any length of time, you know what's going to happen next. God's about to show up. It's going to be awesome. But let me tell you something. you got to remember, we, I had this conversation a little bit with my wife a few years ago. We look at these heroes in the Bible, and we think they were superheroes. They were just dudes. You know what I'm saying? They were just like you and me. Elijah had no superpowers. He wasn't super faith Elijah. He didn't have an action figure. Elijah was just a dude who saw God fail him. And he thinks he's finally gotten a word from God. And he walks into this, this, uh, this village and he sees the woman and God says, there she is. And he says, hey, yes. Can you go get me some water? And she's like, okay. So she starts going to the water, and he says, hey, by the way, when you come back, just bring me a roll. Maybe like one of those Hawaiian things or like a Sister Schubert's or something. Y'all, those are good. I'm just saying. Chicken minis. Chick-fil-A. Not everywhere I go, man. The lady says, and you, I mean, can't you just see? Because the Bible says she's walking away, and he calls after her. I mean, can't you just see that stop and the shoulders fall? Because it's an all-of-a-sudden reminder of where she really is. Because she has nothing. And she turns around and says, man, I can't literally have nothing. So absolutely, the only thing I was about to do, I'm out here picking these sticks up so I can make a fire to bake my last loaf of bread so that my son and I can have one last meal. And then we can die. What she was saying is, I've held on too long. I've held on for as long as I can. I think of what's going through Elijah's mind at this point. Everything's, he feels like God's failed him. But he felt like he had one more word. And God said, I want you to go here. And I've instructed someone to feed you. Wait, what? She already heard from God that she was supposed to feed him. See, we don't think about the widow's side of it. So what was she doing making a little bit of bread to cook one last meal so her and her son could die? She was not prepared to follow what God had said for her to do because she had given up. She said, God, who are you? I'm living here. I am in Israel. We are your people, and yet we are crying out to you to see, uh, to see water, to see this drought in, and it's not ending because of your prophecy. 
And now you want me to give my last bit of bread to someone I don't even know? No, 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 no. I will cook this for me and my kid, and then I'll die because I'm not doing it anymore. But then Elijah showed up, and she had to make a decision. Some of you are in a place right now where God is putting something in front of you, and you've lost every bit of faith. And you're literally saying, nope, you've let me down too many times. Let me go. But how grateful are you that my God does not just let us go. He says, I am here. I will send people to you. I'll show you what I can do. So she makes the decision. What to happen? Let's read on. Verse 13 says, But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare, to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. What? I mean, is that not awesome? Think about what Elijah was dealing with. Elijah had a moment where he had to make a decision. Because when she turns around and says, I don't have it, I've got enough to make one, one little cake. What Elijah was in effect saying is, God, if you don't come through, I am killing this woman and her son. Think through that. Because she just said, they're in a drought, food is hard to come by. She evidently has a little bit of water, because she was going to spare that. But this is the last bit of food she has left. And Elijah basically has to make the decision, do I trust you, even though things have gone so wrong in the past few months, even though the, the supply ran out, do I now trust the supplier? Because it no longer is just about me. It's about a few more people now. So I can just see Elijah just kind of getting that. Okay. This is what you got to do. And she did it. And man, God showed up. And it was awesome. And the Bible says that Elijah lived with her for many days. And, and they, they ate as much as they wanted. And they were full. And all this kind of stuff. was, And it was awesome. And it was just such a cool thing. See, just as he was growing more confident in the words that God was speaking, though, just as he was growing more confident in the things that were being accomplished through his obedience and this prep work that he was going through, a setback happened. Man, isn't that just like life? Things are going perfect. I mean, you are living the dream. You're following what God's told you to do. You've seen God working in ways that you never expected to see God work. Man, I grew up in church. I come from a long line of pastors. I, I, you know, the old saying, I cut my teeth on the front pew. 
I've seen Holy Spirit services. I've seen people slain in the Spirit. I've seen uh, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping old ladies that wouldn't let you get up until you talked in tongues, too. I don't know if that's right or not anymore, but they'd probably say abuse now. But let me tell you something. I've seen God do some awesome things. And I remember we'd have missionaries come to our church when I was growing up, and they'd tell these stories about, like, we were down to nothing. Nothing in our cupboards, and we just had to keep trusting. And God just kept saying he was going to send somebody. In fact, I heard one as a good friend of mine, his mom, said that when he was little, that all they had left in the cupboard was a jar of jalapeno peppers. And she said, I can't give that to a baby. It's a bad idea. Just FYI, don't do that. Quick story, sidebar. I was, uh, I was cooking one time. Yes, I do cook. It's awesome. Um, and I was chopping some jalapeno peppers. My daughter couldn't get her sippy cup open, so I was like, I got you. Give it back to her. There was a lot of jalapeno juice on top of that thing. She was about a year and a half old. She cried for like three hours. It was, don't do that. Note to self. Uh, anyway, but she said all she had left was a, was a jar of jalapeno peppers. They had no money in the account, nothing. And what happened? You guys have heard these stories. A knock on her door. Some random person said, I was at the grocery store. Do you need these? Is this weird? And of course, she just breaks. And I mean, I, have you guys ever heard stories like this of God just coming through in these supernatural ways? And I remember going into, I remember that I used to pray when I was a teenager and, and, and a young adult. And I would say, God, why haven't I seen these kind of things in my own life? Like, I don't want to be a pastor and have to say, I had this friend that blah, 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 blah. I heard the story one time that blah, blah, blah. I want to be able to tell my story of how you provided. I want to be able to tell my story of the awesome things that I've seen you do in my own life because it means so much more. And I feel like I never got an answer until I started being a church planner. I remember there was one month we were uh, over $500 short at the end of the month. No idea what we were going to do. We were going to get my kids off of the bus and my wife and I were walking down there and she put her arm around me and I put my arm around her and she said, it's the end of the month. Stuff's got to be paid Monday. What are we going to do? This was Friday. I said, baby, I have no idea. We just got to trust. I have no idea. So I, had, I was lined up to preach down at Mobile that weekend, and I was down there. And here's the, the crazy thing about being a church planner. It's always nice when you're invited to another church to, to preach, and, and you get an honorary. But being a church planner, you're like a missionary. So it just goes into your account at the state, right? And so the only thing I got preaching was about enough to cover my gas from Mobile back to here and, and back again, right? So it wasn't anything that was going to help me out, and I knew that going into it, but I was just like, man, we got we to trust. So when the service was over, I was just shaking hands and hugging necks and all that stuff, and I had a, a gentleman come up to me. I'd never seen him before, and um, he kind of pulled me off the side, and he leaned in, and he said, hey, I got all the way out to my truck. God said that I'm supposed to come back in here and give you all the cash in my wallet. Here you go. And I was like... No, man, you can. He was like, nope, don't argue. It is what it is. I know how much cash I carry in my wallet. It would have been like a moth in my hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> this dude gave me over $200. And I was like, of course, I didn't count it. I, you can't do that. There's a bunch of people around. So I just, you know, put it in my pocket. My wife is on the other side of the church doing the same thing, just talking, shaking hands and stuff. She had a lady come up and hand her envelope and say, God told me to give this to you. And when she had a chance to look at it, it was, it was two $100 bills. But wait, there's more. 
So we, we got away, and we were just like, man, this is phenomenal. Like, this is awesome. You know, once we were able to see what was actually going on, and we were almost there to where what we needed, and we felt like we could kind of make that work. We were like, God, that's so awesome that you got us so close. And you ever say something like that? God, that was a great try. You know what I mean? I mean, have you ever been there? And you're like, that was great, man. You'll get him next time. And uh, so we got home on, on Monday. I went to work, and my wife was just getting ready to put some stuff in the bank, make a, a run to the bank. And um, she opened up that envelope that had the two $100 bills in it. And she looked at it, and it was three $100 bills. She says she counted it actually pulled them out and looked at them. She said, I'm telling you right now, there was not three $100 bills in that envelope. There was not. And I believe her. So then we had, uh, we had upgraded this thing. We had for a few weeks this like $100 Visa gift card that was supposed to be sent to us in the mail, right? You ever done something like that, like a cell phone thing? Oh, you get a free $100 Visa gift card. Well, it's like, you know, it's like eight to 10 years before you get it most of the time. Um, but we got this email as she was sitting there, and it said, your gift card is in the mail. And we were like, that's awesome. It'll be delivered in a week. We went to the mailbox that day, and the Visa gift card was in the mail. I've seen God, and that's just one story of the stories after story after story that I can tell you how God came through. And can I tell you something? I used to pray, God, why don't I have stories like this? And he said, you don't have stories like that because you haven't been in a place that you've needed stories like that yet. You'll get there. That's a scary thought. And I can just feel like this is, this is where Elijah was, man. He's, he's seeing God move, and he's seeing God do these awesome things, and he's having these stories that, you know, he's probably getting ready to write a book and release it. And he's like, man, how God took me from a dried-up brook to this place where now I'm seeing all these great things happen, and, and he's doing all this stuff. And then the setback happens. Let me tell you about the setback. Verse 17, sometime later, and we're getting ready to, to be done. In fact, one of the, the worst, if you guys want to come back up, that'd be great. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and he finally died. Did you hear what I said? God has saved this family's life just for the son to die. He finally died, and she said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sin and to kill my son? And sometimes when tragedy strikes, when setbacks happen, faith is destroyed. You can't let it. Verse 19, Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body, uh, took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Think about that. Everything's going perfect. And the people that God sent you to to save their life, tragedy struck. And they blame you. And Elijah steps into this moment, this prayer time with God, and he says, why are you doing this to me? Just when everything's supposed to be right, just when everything is supposed to be the way that it is, the, the, the right thing, I'm in the middle of the purpose that you've called me to, and you make this happen? God, where are you right now? 
Are you kidding me? I mean, I know it's not the exact words, but we've got to be able to look at Elijah as a human. Wouldn't you feel that way? God, what are you doing? Why did you bring me here just for this kid to die anyway? I don't understand. But then Elijah, it's like, he's just like, "Mm -mm, no, this isn't right. This is not what God wants. And so the Bible says, The Bible says in verse 21, he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. In verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. And Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. (laughs) What an awesome, awesome story. Look, your son is alive. My favorite verse in the chapter is the last verse. The woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and the Lord truly speaks through you. Wait, 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 now you know? You didn't know when the the flour and the oil didn't run out? You didn't know when you had nothing left and this dude showed up in your life? Now you know. You know why she didn't know for sure? Because the prep work wasn't done. Elijah hadn't stepped into his full purpose, even though he probably felt like he was in the middle of it. He was still in the preparation period for what God was about to do. And when that woman looked at Elijah, said, now I know that you're a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. See, I feel like that wasn't, that wasn't just her saying that. That was the voice of God speaking through her. Now I know that you're ready. Because literally the next verse is where we go into the Mount Carmel showdown. See, when he was at the brook, the test was about him. When he was at Uh, at at, uh, Zarephath there was a few more people that he had to worry about it wasn't just about him if he failed there's more people that were going to fail with him God knew if he could face down one angry mama he could face down 850 prophets on that mountaintop okay you ready Zarephath You want to know the meaning of Zarephath? Refining place. The refining place. Get that. See, God took Elijah to this place where he had to cut away from him the things that didn't need to be there. But then just because he got some stuff out of his life, he wasn't ready. He had to take him to a place where he could refine his faith. And things could be exactly the way they needed to be for him to have some very real and very hard confrontations that were coming in his life because God wanted to use him, but he had to refine him first. Just because you find yourself next to a dried up road doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you. 
just because you feel like nothing's going right doesn't mean he's forgotten about you. Just because you feel like you have no purpose anymore doesn't mean he's forgotten about you. Just because you don't understand why things are going the way they're going doesn't mean that he's forgotten about you. Maybe you're at the cutting place today. Maybe you're past that. Maybe you're in the place where you're being refined. Man, I'm, I'm sure some of you guys are in the middle of your purpose right now and you are exactly where God wants you to be, but Lord knows I'm not. I have so many questions, so many things. I wonder why God's doing what he's doing, but I know he's still there. I know he's working. John 16, says, here on earth, this is the words of Jesus, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. You bow your heads with me today. God, we come to you today and we're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful that you take us to places that we don't understand to get us to the places that you want us to be. It's so hard to be grateful for the bad things, the things that we don't get. But God, we want to offer up a grateful heart. But Lord, it's hard. We don't understand. So God, we need strength to continue the journey that you have us on. We need that spiritual gift of faith to understand that faith takes us through the tough times. If you're in this place right now and you say, man, I don't understand the place that God has me right now and I'm starting to lose faith and I'm, I don't understand what he's doing and I don't know what point of my journey I'm on, but sometimes I feel like God's forgotten about me. Would you just stand? Everyone in the room, just stand. If that's you and you say, man, I just need prayer. I need prayer that God would give me strength and faith to make it through the tough times, to make it continually through the prep work. If that's you, will you just get out from where you're at and will you just join me down here because I would love to pray over you. We've got plenty of people that would love to pray for you because I know it's a tough place for you to be right now. But if that's you, I'd love to have the opportunity to pray. No judgment here. Lord knows we've all been there. You guys sing a song for us.